Welcome back to the Time for Heroes podcast. Uh, welcome back to the podcast. This week I have Brian and Charlie of the Slow Time Mondays, a indie band from Crawley, who I've just discovered in the last couple of months. So we're going to go back, we're going to start off with their early life growing up and take it from there. So I guys, just tell us what life was like growing up in Crawley. <laughs> I think uh, I think naturally Crawley has a a, a funny uh, undertone to it. When you mention Crawley, people go, "Oh, creepy Crawley!" Yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, I think it's treated us all well. So myself and Charlie went to primary school together, lived on the same road since we were four or five years old. Um, spent sort of most of our childhood life and now adult life together. Um, and then equally, the other two members of the band, Billy and Joe, are brothers. Um, but yeah, life in Crawley is, I think it's treated us well. I think we've done yeah. okay. Yeah. It's, the, it's been a good town for us um, individually. And I think as a band as well, very well located, being on Gatwick's doorstep. Mm-hmm. And gig-wise, we, play, we can play in London or be in Brighton within half hour to 40 minutes on a train. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so... Cool. It gets, yeah. It's just a working class town in the southeast, really. It's um yeah. it's nice enough. It's uh yeah, just normal really, playing football as a as a kid in on the greens and yeah, pretty pretty standard, really. It's been good for me. Obviously, Crawley is where my <laughs> wife's from. So nah. obviously that's how I was down last week. I come down every year, start of July, we come down for two weeks. Um so I and just Delving into Crawley the last couple of years, obviously with the World Cup and all the yeah. hype around Southgate, I didn't realise he was for there. But obviously you get <laughs> Romesh, you've got the Cure, all sorts. Dan Walker, the guy for the BBC, um, mm-hmm. one of the stranger ones. I was I was looking up the day, the Gorillas, you know, um, the Gorilla yeah. team and Albert band. Obviously they're all fictional cartoon characters, but they've all got backstories. And uh, the singer 2D is apparently for Crawley. So, look at that. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> no, I will check that out once you get off. Obviously, as well as that, we've got a few members of the feeling in The Cure, probably the most famous band yes. for Crawley. So, so I see so you saw me at school then? I was too, did. Yeah, yeah. We were at primary school. Um, right. And we're both big Chelsea fans. So, we've always, um, we've always gone up to Chelsea as well together. Right, and the other two, the the front man and the drummer, they're brothers. So mm-hmm. they, it was, and our uh, sort of parents all sort of knew each other through growing up. So we didn't necessarily know Billy and Joe as kids, but when we were sort of eighteen, nineteen, twenty, and started, you know, really getting into music, we were then kind of all kind of put together because we worked out between our parents that we all played the right instruments. So we got right. together and had a jam, and then went from there. So we kind of knew of them growing up. But I, I knew of Billy growing up, but not we weren't kind of mates until we were sort of late teens. Right. Were well, these different areas? Literally 15 minutes, 10 minutes away. Yeah, okay. If um, but I think it's like with most things, when you're younger, you've got your primary school and know your mates from there, then you'll go on to your middle school or secondary school from there. You've got your mates from there. And it's only really once you start venturing out in the pubs and out in the town on the weekend and you meet other people from other mm. parts of the town, really. Yeah. Um, yes. As soon as we kind of properly got introduced and started jamming, we all just kind of instantly clicked and became really good mates since. Mm. Yeah. At this point, I think Joe was too young to be even getting into pubs. Um, so we used to have to admit, because he's obviously the younger brother. Yeah, four, four or five years younger than us. Yeah, yeah. So when we were first started out, yeah, he was still probably... 15, 16, yeah, yeah. and um, getting into pubs and venues that we were playing, drinking his sort of Coke out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was uh, what was your early musical influences? What, what sort of music were you listening to? Um, I was all blues music, to be honest with you. When I first picked up the guitar, I had um, I never done uh, music in school. I was 15 when I first picked up the guitar. But I had some one-to-one lessons, and the guy 
Danny Giles was my guitar teacher at the time, um, and he was a big blues guy. And so he would just play me music he was influenced by, and I just clicked with it. It's it's raw guitar music, really. And right. Yeah. Um, at the same time, probably listen to the stuff my dad would listen to. So like Paul Weller, Bowie, um, The Clash, you know, that sort of era, all the modern revival stuff. So it was a good mix, really. But all band, all guitar-based music, I would say. Right. And what about yourself? Yeah, the same here, really. It was, I was, obviously grew up in my house. It was always the jam, madness, specials, clash, and so on. Again, all the mod, scar, soul, two-tone. It was always on every day in our house. And as I kind of got older, so I always had that sort of base knowledge and liking of that music. Then I started to discover my own bands growing up, sort of early to mid-noughties with sort of the Arctic Monkeys, Mm. The Enemy, The Kooks, bands like that. Sort of that little, that indie, sort of indie mm. pop era. Yeah, a great that. time for being a, being a young boy that age. There was mm. so many bands springing up constantly. It was like, it, really. It was great. And it was that era of actually buying a CD as well. And yeah. it was like, yeah, going going into, into town or into being in a supermarket. I remember buying Kasabian's second album, because I was probably too young to acknowledge or realise the first. Just like I'd, heard, I'd seen them on Soccer AM and was like, that's a cool band, I want to listen to them. And you'd have just have that on in, in the car or at home and stuff constantly. So like, it was started off that. And then from then, so I kind of took my dad's uh, sort of music influence, made it my own. And then I now sent him bands to go and listen to that we get, we've got to know or we're playing with or we're familiar with. So we've kind of done a little cross. So... Yeah, that's really good. Obviously, um, I spoke to the Magic Mod. I've had him on the podcast. Mm. And um, I've seen him sharing. He, sh- he shared a lot of stuff about Mike Doby. Mm. Obviously, checking on news, obviously, seems to have quite a big influence in your career. Mm. So what, what was the story behind him? Did, did he kind of mm. help get the band together? Yeah, he... Um... So he was originally, I mean, he kind of lived all over the place, predominantly up north. Mm-hmm. Parents, Scottish parents, lived up north. He kind of moved down to Manchester, wasn't it? I think Manchester, yeah. Blackpool, all, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. He moved down to Crawley about 20 years ago. Um, and he basically started playing in pubs and venues around our area. And he got to know our dads and our families and their sort of friends really well. I think he played my dad's 40th birthday party. And really? um, I must have been. 13 maybe 14 years old not really massively at 13 12 13 I probably wasn't into bands much at all mm-hmm. and then just because I'd been exposed to live live bands by that age really and then watching him just a man and his acoustic guitar smashing out um all these covers with the energy the passion he had everyone having a dance to it I thought okay this is something different this is cool yeah. um and then it just flowered from there really didn't it um I was in Mike's um front cover for his first EP right just, just sitting on a scooter typical kind of mod, mod photo, I think our drummer yeah Joe was, on, yeah. was really really young as well and from that he said do you want any payment for it at all I said um no I don't, I don't want anything for it he went, okay I'll get you a couple of guitar lessons and that's from there it's just yeah, and then yeah, he kind of knew our families individually, and obviously he knew us kind of growing up from sort of early teens. Mm-hmm. And once he kind of knew and saw that we were getting into music, and we were playing, I was learning bass, Charlie was learning guitar, and um, Billy could sing, play some guitar. Yeah, Joe could play everything. So he basically said, "Why don't you, why don't you guys get together?" Um, he booked us out a few rehearsals. We jammed a few covers. He came along to a few, and he kind of left, left us to our own devices. And then our first pretty much ever gig we played, he booked out the um, a pub in Crawley called the Snooty Fox, which yeah, is yeah. a massive pub right outside our main station. It's busy every Saturday night or Friday night because it's the place you go on your way home from work, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or if there's a band on. And he he announced it as Mike Doby presents the Slow Time Mondays. So he came on, did this set, had hundreds of people there, and then went off and said, right, over to you guys. And we kind of looked at each other like, uh right <laughs> let's go do it 
So he just kind of gave us this massive leg up, really, yeah. in, especially in the town and in the area. So people automatically just mm-hmm. would follow us on the basis that Mike was pushing us and promoting us, and he had kind of given his word. Mm. And um, yeah, so then for a few years, we any gig we could, he'd be involved in ours or we'd be involved in his. Um, and yeah, it was just such a massive supporter and promoter of our music um, and made such an influence. Um, was it was it recently you had Ben on? Did he do yeah, probably about a year ago. Right. Um, if you get back, you'll, you'll get them mm-hmm. on the, the back catalogue. But I, ah, I mean, I, I only listened to Mike last week and music's brilliant. Music's a brilliant standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's kind of criminal that he's no, he wasn't out there and like gigging, gigging to like the proper level that he should have been. But mm-hmm. um, obviously, he, he must have seen something in yours to maybe. For for you to kind of do what he he was able to do, yeah, he uh, absolutely had such had such a massive influence on us. He introduced us to um, Smiley, Steve Bonnard. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a studio down in Hampshire where Sm- uh, Mike was recording all of his stuff. And he said, oh, "I've got this band. They only just started writing their own stuff after being a covers band. Once they're ready, I'll put you guys in such. I think you work really well together." So even since Mike's passed away, we're still in touch with Smiley. We recorded our whole album with Smiley. We've got such a great relationship with him now. All, you know, kind of on the link up that Mike gave us, really. Yeah. Um, say all the Mike stuff was produced and recorded there. And it's nice that we go back there and still use the same things, the same equipment that Mike was using for all his stuff, yeah. you know, previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's brilliant to keep that link. Obviously, you... you Touchstone, when you started out, you were predominantly a covers band. Hmm. Um, on your first EP, I think it was, you had the Toots and the Maytals cover, which I thought was brilliant. It's <laughs> it's um, a brilliant take on it. And it's, I mean, it's a it's an iconic song to cover. I don't think I've heard many people do it as well as that. So where, where did that come from? Was that... Your parents, or was that Mike Dobie's kind of style of music? Yeah, Mike play, definitely played a lot of ska songs and made them his own. Um, just playing it with an acoustic and with all the energies and stuff, I guess we took that on board. Um, I can't remember whether he covered Fifty Four Forty Six or not, but he definitely covered that sort of that sort of era, that sort of um, all those ska and soul, yeah, yeah, yeah soul yeah. tunes. He'd make, managed to strip back and make it his own and make it sound yeah. like a rock record rather than a yeah. And it's got a medley of about three songs in a row. Yeah, something we just clicking his head and he'd go into another song and mm. just keep the ball rolling and rolling. Um, which is obviously a big skill to have, isn't it? Really, mm. it's harder to do as a band, but um, but I think it's one of those songs that once we started playing it and we luck when we still. If, even if we're doing a set of originals now, we would still chuck that in if we've got a bit of time somewhere in the set because it's it's not your typical Oasis Beatles sort of cover that you hear in a pub every Friday yeah. or Saturday night. Mm-hmm. You can get away with playing it in the venue because it's so different. Um, and we have our own take on it. We, we love playing it and it always gets a reaction. Even people that might not know the song, they some somehow subconsciously do know the song and it comes back by the... The chorus, um, but yeah, well, that was one that when it came to recording the EP four or five years ago, we said it would be good to get some sort of cover on, and it made sense to put that in because mm-hmm. it was so different. Yeah. And it would say it was a little nod back to all the covers we were playing and all our, our influences kind of growing up, really. Yeah, I mean, obviously, looking back, I've, I've been through, I've been scouring your Instagram all day today, and um, the amount of kind of like mod scar kind of gigs that you were playing back then, what was the scene like in Crawley? Was there, was there a lot of bands? Because it doesn't seem that sort of place. Obviously, I've been I've been travelling down there for 2007, and yeah. I, ne- I never knew there was any sort of musical scene, to be honest. I think the scene pretty much was Mike Dobie, to be honest. He, right. he was the one that would, would constantly draw the crowds in, pretty consistently as well. Um yeah, because there's no proper venues as such in Crawley. They're all they're all pubs or they're all um function rooms or pubs. Mm-hmm. So there's no out and out venues as such. So it's hard to build up a a core following of people that, that will go out just to watch a band, particularly not knowing who's on. 
Um, but a lot of people go down to Brighton. Yeah, if you're like a, you know, an actual mod weekend or a, mm. a mod night, mod band, you're either going up to Camden, somewhere like that, or yeah. down to Brighton. Mm-hmm. We're kind of stuck in the middle. But yeah, as Charlie was saying, there's no real venue as such. Um, we just, it was something that Mike kind of did. He would just turn up to a pub and you would know all week or months leading up to it, oh, Mike Dove is playing at so-and-so pub that Saturday night. And it kind of opened our eyes as well because you're suddenly seeing hundreds of people turning up in Fred Perry's, Ben Sherman's, nice Harrington's, Parker's, you know, nice like trousers and desert boots, loafers. Mm-hmm. And just opened this whole, mm-hmm. opened our eyes to this whole sort of world of yeah, yeah. this mod culture that still exists from people yeah. you know, that were in this mod revival scene, like our parents, you know, from in sort of the 80s and so on. It was still living and people still loved that music. Mm-hmm. And when you were going into a venue and hearing that this sort of stuff, that's kind of how it started, really. And it was, it's been quite nice that he, we kind of have helped pass the baton on as such. When we were doing the covers, we were still doing a lot of those songs that our parents listened to and liked and had passed on to us. But as a scene, there's there's so many bands going on. Mm-hmm. There's always open mic nights, gigs and so on. But yeah, as we were saying, there's no, it's not a, a venue as such in Crawley, mm-hmm. which has been a slight hindrance to us. The thing is, I mean, those, those pubs, are, they're all pretty big, like, Space, spacious wise, like obviously, I've been in the Snooty Fox, I've been in uh, the Grasshopper and Tilgate, I've even been in that Punching Suite at Crawley's Stadium. So they're all they're all pretty yeah. big, you know what I mean? Yeah. So as as you're growing, you must be able to get quite a crowd in these places. Yeah, we do. So we did the Snooty Fox New Year's Eve. Um, we're doing the Grasshopper. They've got a really big function room out the back of the normal pub we mm-hmm. sold just over 400 people so next week we're announcing a big sort of homecoming gig back there we're doing there in october um just off the back of a short small tour we're going on so yeah, yeah they're, they're great yeah it's good they say there's good size rooms yeah that we we go in we get a stage put in yeah full lighting and sound system and just turn it into a music venue for the night yeah and it's great to do it I and think they always look bigger for me. I mean, I used to, when I was down there, I would get down, I'd go out with my father-in-law, maybe like midweek or that, and the pubs are deep down, so they always look bigger than you think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and here. Yeah. I've never been out, I've never been out at the weekend. That's Doug's trying to attack me like them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it's, I mean, early on as well, you get support slot with Glenn Matlock as well for the, the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. How how did that come about and how did it feel playing the same lineup as I think Mike probably broke with that deal as well, didn't he? With with the owner of the of the Balkan Club. So the Balkan Club's got a big um function hall next to it. Mm-hmm. Like a really old school looking um it looks like a big hall really. It's got a proper mm-hmm. built in stage, all like the paintwork and the, the artwork on the ceilings, that sort of thing. Um so it's a really nice room to play in. And again, Mike used to play open mic nights quite regularly in the main pub. Yeah, in the pub. So he knew the landlord very well. And again, we we joined the few open mic nights with him. You get to know people, you do a bit of networking and um yeah, that's how it went about. I think the landlord um just took, took a liking to us and put our name name forward for it. It's brilliant getting these wee chances and these wee leg ups because mm. you can see how it's it's helped you throughout your career. Obviously, I mean your career's in its infancy the new but it's it's the wee little things at that point that, that help you to get to where you are and take you to the next level. 2019 then is you started releasing music. April you brought a single, May you brought another single and then you released the, the full EP in the July um, which garnered a bit of radio play for BBC introducing as well. So how much did that help the band grow getting that sort of exposure? It definitely, definitely helped and it's a good one to add to the CV. So when you're talking about a song or a single, you can say it was playlisted by BBC Introducing. Um, she Likes Dancing was the first one that it kind of got re- repeat plays. Mm-hmm. It kind of ended up on, on one of their playlists for a few weeks and that got up a lot of traction. We built up a lot of new followers. And so from that, and because it's only being played in the southeast, mm-hmm. so for us, it was going out to Surrey, BBC Surrey and BBC Sussex. Yeah, and We noticed a big increase in followers, Spotify listeners and so on, just from that one single alone. I mean, today that's still become our biggest song. 
that's kind of carried with us yeah. and it's still mm-hmm. a big tune, but it's definitely the most radio friendly song. Yeah, it? I would say, yeah, catchy. Yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, do you know what it, it, it reminded me about a um, Viola Beach? Can you mind, Dave? Sure, yeah, it's got a wee tinge of that. But <clears> I mean, obviously, once we get on the album, obviously, that I hear a lot of different influences on it, which I don't know if when, when I throw them at you, whether you'll agree or whether you whether you'll have thought that they were your influences at the time, but I um, you can definitely hear different styles of music in it. The following year, he brought out another two singles, Sweet Life and Feel This Way, and you played uh, This Feeling Gig as well. Yes. Was that, your, was that your first This Feeling Gig with The Claws? That was, that was with The Claws, yeah. That was crazy because we we were familiar with The Claws already. Obviously, they were already on the infancy, and even more so now, they've completely blown up. Mm-hmm. So we were already sort of familiar with them and half knew some of the members. We'd apl- we had applied to play for this feeling a good year or so before and they hadn't heard anything back and we thought nothing of it. And then, yeah, randomly popped up with a, a message mm-hmm. to say, there's a there's a show in Brighton, we'd like to book you guys. And it turned out we were basically the main support for The Claws. Yeah. Um, and with it being that, it was The Claws' first sort of big gig down, or gig this south, because we were you know, right down in Brighton, mm-hmm. the guys that are from Birmingham. So it was really good because we sold well they sold well, so we kind of played to each other's fans, which was I think we right. I think we sold probably half the venue out, and yes. that was the thing with Crawley. People do t- turn up in their numbers. Um, a little bit of a community feel, I think, with with us. It feels like anyway, people tend to to really turn up in numbers, especially to Brighton. It's only half an hour of a train, but other London venues as well. Yeah, do quite well on the tickets. Yeah, really good. Mm. To get on the, the This Feeling shows as well is Carol Barat. There's a quote on the, the website with Carol Barat said that any up-and-coming band, you'll see them first on This Feeling, which mm-hmm. it, does, it, it seems to be getting more and more prominent over the last couple of years, like after lockdown, really. It's like you're looking at they're doing like a festival, I think, up north in Bradlington or something. They're doing yeah. that. So... It, it's the, the way to go, man. You could just you could just look at that festival bill and just mm-hmm. pick all the bands and just put it's, it in the playlist. It really is that some of the bands that have come through that are now in the mainstream that were really um, supported by this feeling, like the Lathams that have now, you know, that are almost like a household type name. They're on radio every day, all over the place. Yeah. Um, the Lottery winners were the same, the Royston Club. Now the Claws are kind of on that trajectory as well. Mm-hmm. They've they've been really they're really good in with us. We're still on our way up, you know. Um, they target you into a city. So for us, it was Brighton. We worked our way up all through the venues of Brighton, and now they, they then start drip feeding you out into other cities to play into you know, new crowds, but pair you up with bands from the area. To say in October we're we're doing a tour of Manchester, Cambridge, Liverpool, and all over the place, and it's just such a great way of getting you out there. And if they see something in you and you know you get on well with them, all the guys that run this feeling, um, they will back you to the hills and put your music to Radio X and so on. Yeah, so they do provide and open so many doors, gig wise, festival wise. It really has been great so far. So who do you who do you deal with it? Are you dealing directly with like Mikey Jones in that or is it is there people underneath? Yeah. Them? Yes, we speak to Mikey and we speak to George as well. Right. Just I'm looking at getting Mikey. I'd like to get Mikey Johns on because what he's doing, it'd be a brilliant story to speak with him. So everything's going well, and then COVID. Yeah. <laughs> well, COVID comes, and obviously looking at your story and looking at your releases, it seems like again it's like a brilliant time. It's it seems to be the story the last few episodes the podcast, like people have had, had Andrew Cushing on, he'd only just started it probably around about the same time as you and then obviously COVID came and it mm-hmm. gives you that time to kind of go away and write songs build up a catalogue and practice every day and, and kind of get tighter so is was that your feelings around lock, lockdown? Definitely a couple of songs written uh, during COVID Yeah, a lot of the album was really because yeah. that then started the next run of singles and then the new yeah. set of songs from there yeah it's one of those things though because when we were 
normally when we're rehearsing, we're preparing towards the next gig or the next run of shows or mm-hmm. aiming to get something done by this show or, you know, we, we try to rehearse regularly anyway. And when it all suddenly stopped, like our last gig was, uh, we played at the Reds Bar, so the function room attached to Crawley Town Football Club. Uh-huh. We played there on the 14th of March. I don't know why I remember the date. 14th of March, 2020. And I remember people were even on that day, this, this thing, COVID, was being spoken about. Oh, there's, you know, there's some cases in Europe. And looking back, there were people definitely coughing. And people weren't well in the venue there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we had 350 people all in there. Yeah. Looking back, it might not have been wise, but we weren't to know at the time. And then literally six days later, everything gets shut down and the rest is history. Sure. But yeah, that just it just kind of put a complete stop to everything. We were still practicing individually. We discussed some new covers to learn just to kind of keep us fresh. Mm-hmm. I I was writing a lot of lyrics as you were as well. Um, we would send over to the boys, obviously Billy and Joe being in lockdown, but brothers were living together. So they were still jamming and still mm-hmm. keeping on top of it. So we did what we could individually, but just couldn't wait to kind of get back out really. I but, think that's what the lyrics were mainly based on, is getting back out and trying to imagine the feeling of actually oh everything is opened up you can see all your mates you can go down the pub normally um like rodeo was, was definitely written like that you know let's make plans let's make plans yeah yeah our first yeah, oh, yeah the first, i think it was one of the first singles post lockdown yeah and the whole our songs were let's make plans for tomorrow let's make plans for next week and so on mm-hmm. i must have just been thinking about getting out the house and getting back to gigging and going to gigs and stuff again yeah, I mean, that's what everything was like. When I, I mean, when lockdown lifted, I, I went to about six or seven gigs in, in that six weeks or so. Yeah. yeah just seen the end of it. I think I went from Billy Bragg to the Libertines to some sort of pop thing. Like I was just just missing live music so much, you'll just you'll go and see anything. <laughs> so obviously, when you when you came back, obviously you brought out these singles. Rodeo Let's Make Plans and... Joy de, joy de Vivre, or however yeah. pronounce it, which I think that's they, they three singles in a row. It's a brilliant run of singles, like all of them on the album as well. They're quality after quality after quality, really. So no, thank you. That's, that's obviously that, that's what I mean by the, the lockdowns, obviously, help you in that respect. Gig wise, as well, that year, checking your Instagram, you played all these gigs around about Crawley, but also some big gigs, Brighton with the Magic Mod. Also a headline show in Brighton. You've done Isle of Wight. You've done support with the Skinner Brothers. And you've done support with the Vapors as well. So mm-hmm. um, what were the highlights then gig-wise for you that year? For me, I think it's got to be Isle of Wight, to be honest. Again, with this feeling, um, you get, we've got weekend tickets with it and... We hired out a house. There's a group of us hired out a house, and we just, yeah, it was just a brilliant weekend. And actually playing playing at the Isle of Wight was just a great feeling. Um, coming off stage and mixing with the people behind the stage as well. It's always good to chat to the other artists and people sort of working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, I reckon Isle of Wight. Yeah, I think. Honest. Yeah, I think as a Isle of Wight immediately springs to mind just mm-hmm. for the whole weekend and for the experience and say another another something to add to the CV but yeah it was just incredible unfortunately looking back it was fortunate that we played the Thursday night so we opened the this feeling stage on the Thursday night so it, it wasn't open to the public yet it was just all the all the, the campers the weekend campers it was just people that were just kind of gagging once they pitched their tents got their drinks yeah, they, yeah. the gates were open to the arenas and they just came straight out to watch and there were just hundreds upon hundreds of people all coming in and by the end of our set it was just incredible yeah. and um it just the whole weekend, as, as you say, going back to the house, and then we were literally staying on the seafront. So getting up, going for a swim in the morning to kind of get rid of the hangover in on this in the sea, going back into the festival for you know three or four days it was just it was great. But I think independent of our own gig was headlining the Hope and Ruin mm. was great yeah, for us. Yeah. That was where it kind of started with this feeling as a support act. Mm-hmm. So to then be able to do 150 tickets almost by ourselves but in in return was was just great that was definitely a night that sticks out yeah 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 because a lot of those will come from Crawley but there was a few new faces in there as well um which is always nice to see 
Mm-hmm. And just having sort of a hundred hundred of your mates, pretty much like people you know and people you recognise, all in the same place at the same time, and then obviously the new faces as well. And it's a good feeling. Yeah, and da- and da- dancing and singing along to our songs. Yeah, right. It's a step away from the covers and the you know the function type band that we started yeah. out out as to then do a forty five minute set of all of our own tunes that everyone knew and was absolutely having it off to. Yeah, there's no buzz like it. It was not just incredible. Mm. So obviously run about then as well, with the album coming out the next year, so I take it you've been recording the album, 2022 as well. Mm-hmm. So when you're in recording a, an album and you're playing all these gigs and you can see yourself, you, you must know then, you can see the progression and you can see, you can look back to where you were and you can see where you're going. It must be a great feeling to kind of look and see that progression. Mm. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because um, I think like gigging, you need to gig a lot whilst you're, just before you're recording the album, you need to gig those songs mm-hmm. to really hone in on exactly what, how you want it to sound and what works as well, um, which I think helped us because we did gig a lot before we, we recorded and we were role rehearsed going in. We were quite efficient. I think we, we smashed it out quite quickly. Um, there wasn't any stresses, any headaches with it. No. Our songs seemed to come quite easily. Like we've had songs written in like pretty much twenty minutes. It's just yeah, you, you yeah. Never, never really force it to be honest. No, but for that feels that comes with practicing, that comes with gigging and being familiar with each other. I think as well. Yeah, knowing each other's strengths and what we kind of bounce off each other once we're in the rehearsal yeah. room or recording studio. Yeah, that's a really confident statement as well. It's uh, twenty minutes just probably. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard Noel Gallagher coming out of like that as well. So. Yeah. Well, Noel Gallagher talks about Supersonic, doesn't he? He said he wrote Supersonic in the time it took the band and the team to go and get a Chinese and come back. He had Supersonic written. Yeah. We had It's for Everybody Else, which was the first single. I think the lyrics were down. I, I had the lyrics yeah. previously, brought them in, and we kind of started jamming. Charlie went outside for a fag, <laughs> came back. I was like, how are we doing? And that's when I would written, written a song. <laughs> what do you mean, written a song? <laughs> pretty much written all of it. We just need a riff. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and pretty much the first riff I played, right, we'll stick with that. Yeah. Obviously, that wasn't quite the finished piece, but yeah. it was a starting point. The yeah. base of it was written in the time it took him to go and have smoke. Yeah. Which we always kind of laugh about now. But the rest do take a bit more time and care. And Billy and Joe are great for that. So myself and Charlie write the lyrics predominantly. I have an idea. Billy and Joe are very clever, um, gifted musically, can pick things up, write things off the top of their head. Mm. That's a really good kind of dynamic we have. We all kind of, it's a, yeah. it's a 25% split between all of us. 100% technically was. It, obviously, I've no touch on that, actually. So you, I mean, you're saying about these brothers in the band, ever any bother with them? I know it's it's kind of talked about with the Gallicers and they mention it with other bands, but it doesn't seem to be as prominent as people think. It's no, I don't think they're as fiery as the Gallagher brothers, to be no. honest with you. But what is also good is if either one of them are doing something wrong, yeah. they're quite happy to turn around and go, you're out of tune there, mate, or like, slow down, why are you playing so yeah, fast? Yeah, They'll have a dig at each other in like a joking way. Whereas if it was maybe me saying to Charlie, like, you're out, why, why, why do you play that wrong? Or yeah. you're playing that too fast. You'd be like, what? Because it's a weird thing to say. But as brothers, they can tell each other to shut up and not mean anything by it, mm. and then carry on. But there's, there's no real ego, there's no, like... No, you put no on the head, really, mate. There's no ego in the band, I don't think, at all. We're just four mates that get along. We don't argue, we don't argue. Um, yeah, really. So, obviously, the following year, then, 2023, brought out the album. Before that, a single, Guitar Set Toll, which, gone by the lyrics and the stuff that I've read, is that kind of like a wee tribute to Mike? Yes. Yeah, because it's beautiful, obviously. Different step, obviously, acoustic, acoustic led. Um, totally different for the most of the stuff on the album. So it does stand out, and it's uh, it's a it's a beautiful song and a beautiful tribute to the guy. Thank you very much. Was that whose idea? Was that was that conscious decision to kind of <clears throat> pay tribute to him for? Again, it was um pretty even share of us all writing it. Um, I had um some verses. Oh, I had the verses down, and I had maybe half of a chorus, which I thought was going to work. 
um, and still started writing it as like almost just like a therapeutic kind of thing. So obviously, we're still in in shock after we passed away, mm-hmm. and it was just getting down thoughts on the page. Um, and I was listening to uh, music when the lights go out by the Libertines. Obviously, a heartbreaking song, and I thought of just really connected with the tune and just sort of write, wrote something half to that kind of melody. Um, lyrics completely different, and it was just missing that hook, hooky chorus, to be honest, which Ryan had as well. Yeah, as well. It, was, it, was, it, was, it was all all four of us that evenly contributed to yeah. Because then Joe then went on to write the beautiful guitar part to it. And it was Joe, who's actually the drummer, recorded the acoustic on it. And yeah. it's a very talented guy, plays all day, every instrument. But he he nailed, absolutely nailed the, the guitar parts. He wrote all of that. Obviously, Billy on the vocals, you can tell in his voice mm. how much it all kind of meant. Yeah. But the song itself, I say, Charlie had all these, a lot of lyrics, a lot of things he wanted to say about Mike. Which is more, say, more sort of therapy than anything else. Um, and then, yeah, guitar shaped hole just came from exactly the what he had left in our community, really, within us individually as a band, as a town, as a music kind of scene. People that were aware of him from all over the country. He was known as the guitar man, the music man mm-hmm. that everybody loved and admired. So I think it was a, it was a perfect way of rounding it off that there was a guitar shaped hole left in our soul kind of thing and the chorus kind of came to me from there and Charlie had these amazing lyrics and yeah it, it just went down so well mm-hmm. um really enjoyed together put the melody and sort of chord progression and yeah it was nice to have sort of an even sharing a song that does mean a lot to all of us it's funny it came on um, we were out in the car last week last Sunday and um, we were in Maidenborough and we were mm-hmm. Driving home to the Marmalos, she stays in Farmer's Green. Mm. And um, we to get a loaf of bread. And we're driving about Crawley on a Sunday and everything's shut. Everything shuts at four o'clock. We're driving about Tesco car park and that song came on. I don't know why. I, it must have been like, the motor must have been logged into Spotify. And Guitar Shape Bowl came on. And the massive said, oh, what's that? And I said, oh, I recognise that. And then I said, well, that, that's just band. I, I said, I'd just been emailing. <laughs> I just emailing you earlier that day. I says, I'm speaking to this guy next week. And then that song just came on the, the radio, which is uh, serendipitous. I would say that that be the word for that. Mm. So I the album then, as I was saying, like the, the kind of vibes <laughs> or the the influences I got for it. A bit of kind of obviously the, the scar kind of that you get the Toots and the Maytals sound. Obviously, that song is not on it, but you kind of get that scar sound. Kind of get a bit of kind of brick pop. It sounds a bit, there's some songs sound a bit like Sleeper, and there's a couple of slower songs that sound a bit like the Blue Tones, mm-hmm. um, which obviously I've I spoke to Mark, Mark Morris a couple of weeks ago, so he's coming up in the podcast. But I, that's, I don't know if it's just, after speaking to him, I'm made aware of that, but I that's I kind of got that sound for a couple of the, the slower songs as well. Oh, great. Was you anti brick pop? Or kind of yeah, yeah. We've always, we've always covered Oasis because Oasis just goes down well in, in pubs when we were doing that sort of thing. I think it's just ingrained in British yeah. culture, and it Oasis, Blur, Pulp. Mm. Um, yeah. I think subconsciously you, you listen to bands even if we're not covering them they subconsciously get into your style of playing yeah um, yeah we, we've done a lot of bowie covers we've done a bowie tribute night when he after he passed away yeah i've seen a video of that that was really good yeah. so what did we do about 10 10 covers something like that yeah <laughs> yeah it was in 2016 mm. weeks after he passed it was mike again that said i want to do a bowie tribute night yeah. i want to get uh all musicians bands artists from crawley Anyone that wants to be involved, but I want it to be predominantly Bowie covers. Yeah, yeah. So we went away and just learned anything that we could. Mm. And that definitely then sent an influence on into our own songwriting, some of the uh, sort of chord progressions, melodies, things like that. It gives you an appreciation for Bowie, really, mm. when you actually learn one of his songs, because some of them were just nuts, really. Yeah. Lyrically, musically, just yeah. absolutely mental. Mm. <laughs> Obviously, that's your. You've, you've, had the album launch uh, done Brighton again, which, what would you consider to be your 
hometown after Crawley would it be Brighton yeah it had to be London. Brighton I think that so you had that you also had a, a run of this feeling gigs as well yeah um, Brighton Bournemouth London and then you just hanging Maiden by a park that's that's where the message was searching through Facebook it was before we went before we came down to Crawley mm. came up spotted in Crawley or something it's called on Facebook and um that's him come up live music and made him by a park. Um, and she's like, that's band Slow Time Mondays. Have you heard of them? And I thought, I don't think I've heard them, but I, I knew the name and that's where it's came from. See, checking back of all these uh, feeling gigs, I've seen the name there. And that's how I was like, well, if I run this feeling gigs, they're a decent band. So, like, obviously going back to that. So, what's that like then playing in a, in a, Maiden by a park is like for like a hometown gig like that outdoor. That seems to be a park with their live music going there every week. They so they do a thing called Chill Out Sundays. So it's literally yeah, it's Maiden Bower Park Community Club. So it's a really nice little family run, family owned pub. We know the owners are very well. It's where Billy the singer he lives around the corner from there. So he spends a lot of his Sundays down there watching the football, watching the music, and got to know them all very well. Um, again, it's very, uh, Mike was there often mm-hmm. for a lot of his gigs and stuff. But um, yeah, so they, they we basically played out the back of the club, out onto the field. Mm-hmm. So then there was no capacity, there was no age restriction. People could go in and get a drink, come out and watch. And there was about four to 500 people turn up. And we only announced it kind of a week or so before, which was just incredible seeing all these people turn up. Um, but it was nice. People were bringing their kids, their dogs, and there was there's a few kids that were down the front singing along and getting involved and wearing yeah. the t-shirts. But you know, we you know, gave them vinyls and CDs and stuff. And yeah, that was our first gig in Crawley since New Year's Eve. So I think that's probably why it had such mm-hmm. a good turnout. Yeah, there's obviously not a lot of people can travel to these gigs around the south. Mm-hmm. Um, age restriction being a big thing, childcare and so on. So to have a gig where Sunday afternoon everybody could come, yeah. and we just had a great. We played for two hours, two yeah. and a half hours. Did a mixture of covers, a lot of, a lot of the album, tell a bit of a laugh, really. Yeah, called Chill Out Sundays, but we opened with Joy Aviv. Mm. Did all the heavy stuff. Yeah, <laughs> worked the fast <laughs> pedal on. It wasn't really a chill out, to be honest. <laughs> well, that I mean, so you played that, and then it was a couple of weeks later I was done, and I was sitting. And my friend's house and Maidenborough, and we could hear it. Obviously, it wasn't yourself, but whoever it was that Sunday. And it was literally like about 200 yards away from the house. And I thought, I'd have loved to have been down there a couple of weeks earlier and they came and seen you. You get truck festival, is that tomorrow you're playing that? Yeah, we start off in the morning. So, looking forward to that. Yeah. Although, hearing it's an absolute mud bath up there now after two yeah. days of praying and 40,000 people stepping all over there. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, no, we're, so we're setting off in the morning. We've got a little bus taking us up. We've got all our girlfriends, wives, um, a few mates coming up with us for having a day out. And yeah, it's a great lineup. We were on a really good time. Mm-hmm. We can get out, hopefully go catch the Lathams and then go see Royal Blood and uh, yeah. get a couple of beers down. So hopefully some nice weather. And then after that, we've got. You mentioned um, briefly a, a wee mini tour in October, Manchester, Liverpool, Cambridge. So is this, will that be your first time that far north? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't really done anything. We haven't ventured up north at all, have we? Um, yeah. Not going past London, really, yeah. for a proper gig. Ah, so it'll be interesting um, to see how we received. I don't think we've received any different up north as, as we are down here, to be honest. But um, playing in front of completely new people, it's always a good thing. I reckon we might take a bit of a crowd. Um, a bit of interest in going up to Manchester. I think people see Manchester as a good night out and Liverpool. So we'll probably take a bit of a crowd up with us. Good away day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's the thing with uh, this feeling. Obviously, a lot of the bands involved with this feeling are up in the north. So maybe like playing a couple of these gigs up here is going to get you into different this feeling, Bill's maybe up there. Mm-hmm. You've got the likes of the Keys, Roller, the Rosellas, there's, there's tons of them up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that that would be a way of building an audience further up. And then 
hopefully, I mean, I'd like to see his brother north again up in Glasgow. Be nice yeah. day. So we were just talking about that, weren't we? We were um, in the car earlier, coming back from from practice, and the snuts were on Radio X. And we said, well, we want to get up to Scotland. We want to need to get up Glasgow. Mm-hmm. It seems like a great gig. Yeah. Great. Which is name all the artists that have come through in Glasgow. You've got like, a good <laughs> good scene up there, a good young scene. Yeah, I'm going to see the snuts next week. That's right. I'm going to see the snuts. Yeah, I mean they they're playing Friday, Saturday night in Glasgow. It's going to be massive. That's late there. Mm-hmm. But I think they've done many festival shows this year, so this is a the main kind of summer gigs. Uh, so that I mean that's going to be good. But I'd like to see you up here. Obviously, they get a song called Rodeo as well. So. Yes, <laughs> it's just... at least about a month after us, so we have to uh, have a word. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to touch on before we go to your heroes? I think we've covered a lot. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was great. Really. Just obviously, actually, what about future music? What if we have we got any future music coming up? Are you looking at recording another album or anything like that? It's just going to be another run of singles. I think now we've we've already got a few that we've written. And we're starting to play in our sets now, starting mm-hmm. to kind of drip feed them out there and get people familiar with. And then once we get this run of shows over the summer done, get back in the studio before the end of the year, get a, get a bulk recording done and start mm-hmm. getting them up probably early next year. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice um, to have another three or four songs I reckon mm-hmm. um, recorded ready to go. Like you say, probably for now, just drip feed them slowly and then work, work towards another album. Seen one of the bands I had done a few episodes ago, this is War, band for Liverpool. And mm-hmm. what they'd done, they were releasing a single a month, and then they just made that after they get the 12 singles, they just released it as an album. Yeah. Um, but that, this is what I've noticed. There, there are a lot of different models that people are doing. They're not, it doesn't seem to be standard just releasing an album anymore. There's, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. I think we. Uh, I was just thinking to say streaming's taken yeah. over, really, hasn't it? Um, with with people's sort of attention spans, listening to a whole album in one, sort of mm-hmm. not knowing the band, it's just people just want quick, um, quick content. It's not like the days where you buy an album, listen to it, starts to finish, and on the off chance the band might be good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, it's just it's, it's kind of getting all the singles. I think is the people want to release a single because they want it to hit a certain algorithm to get into a playlist, mm-hmm. and then people might listen to that single and go and listen to your back catalogue from there. Yeah, and I think that's why people just it's that instant put out a single, put out a video, play it. EP's not bad. EP's like a four track. EP's not bad. Shout get a couple of singles and then a couple of unreleased singles. Yeah. Um, but for us, we weren't planning on doing an album originally. We had loads of singles already out there. Um, we went into the studio initially with another three songs ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Smiley, the producer, said, Look, we've got an album here. We can go back, we can re-record or re-master and re-edit some of the previous stuff. You've got 11 solid tracks here. Let's just put an album out. That way you've got a piece of your work for the last four years already. We can then sign that off, get that out there, and then we can start pushing forward from there. So that just became our goal then for six months after that. Yeah. We were in the studio non-stop getting it, getting everything re-recorded and how we played it and how we progressed as musicians, I guess. Yeah. And um, yeah, end up having this 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 eleven track yeah. album. It is important to have all more in one place, definitely, because it's all very well and good to keep releasing singles, but you can't just hand a load of singles to somebody if you want to show new music. It's all got to be on. Yeah. So, I mean, touching on that as well then, like, obviously, like, I've said about how you, you kind of progressed through and you kind of, you brought out the three, the three songs in 2022, then, then Guitar Shape Hole just before the album. So have you got management? Have you got promoters that are helping you? Are you doing all this yourself? Because it seems at the moment, it's all ourselves, really. Obviously, this feeling promote the, the gigs, and they put, put us onto the gigs. Mm. But as it stands, we're we're self funded, self managed. We run our own, yeah. all our book, our own bookings, our yeah. own contacts. Most of it's this man when it comes to the management <laughs> side of things, taking bookings, book it, yeah, um, organizing. Social media is a massive thing as well. Ryan does all of the social media, pretty much. Um, 
it's a nightmare. Yeah, it is. Media, can you come into my? You can come into <laughs> my social media for the podcast. I hate it. It's a. a <laughs> I think you've even got it in you, or you haven't. Some people yeah, have got the, the, the attention span to delve into it. Some people just can't be bothered. But what we found is when when even when we were a covers band and things were starting, we were starting to get more bookings, even just for pubs and birthday parties and things like that. We would get messages sent into our either email or Facebook, and we'd all look at it, wait and think, oh, someone else will deal with that or we'll discuss it. And in the end, we had all these unread messages. So I was like, right, let me just sort it out. Let's go through and get it sorted. <laughs> Seven years later, I'm still there <laughs> doing everything. Um, yeah, no, because at the moment we're still self-funded and self-managed, but who knows? Would you be actively looking for somebody to help kind of manage? I hmm. think that would be just to give us a, a leg up to the next step, really. Yeah. Is it the right people, gig-wise, radio-wise, PR-wise? Yeah. We'd absolutely welcome a conversation, definitely. Yeah, because we're at the stage, we're still taking on advice. Any any advice anybody's got for us, we welcome it 100%. We're not, we're not a finished article at all. Um, any steps we're taking have been forward, but we, we could always welcome the manager 100%. Cool, cool. I just, I'll, I'm happy to pass you on to Sunday, see if it, see if it works for these. Okay. Um, uh, so, obviously, the podcast called Time for Heroes based on the Libertines, because they're my heroes. And what I do is ask my guests to pick four heroes to come for dinner, why you've picked them, why they're your heroes, and what would you cook for them? It's up to you as how you do it, whether you want to pick two each. Uh... Oh, do two each? Yeah, OK, OK. Go on. Um, I struggled with this one a little bit. I think just because I was massively into, I still am into blues music and that had a massive influence on my guitar style, um, just picking one of the the old the old boys from that, like Muddy Waters, came to head. Um, just because he had some stories to tell, you know. What I mean, sort of growing up in the era he grew up in, and uh, gigging in like the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. probably would have seen some sights. Um, <laughs> yeah, the British blues boom as well. So he had come over here and had the whole resurgence of that. And then, I don't know, I'll probably still go with someone of that era, maybe like a, a John Lennon or um, just someone, yeah, like someone you could just have a good conversation with musically. Um, yeah, really, someone with a big character, I would say. John Lennon, your favourite Beatle? Uh, I think he was the most rock and roll, but like that, that he advanced, like the, the voice he had and... Um, you can tell some stories. Yeah, I mean, they were all brilliant. Don't get me wrong, but I think with John, he was he was just yeah. If he was the front man for me, he was. Um, you could tell which songs were were John's. Yeah, Paul McCartney was all kind of pop songs and love songs, yeah. and that. Yeah. And you could tell the political songs were were, were Lennon's. I, I mean, I I've always been John Lennon up until I was still John Lennon, but. When I watched the documentary, the Get Back documentary, have you seen mm-hmm. that? Yeah. And then you see kind of the work that Paul McCartney done there. I mean, basically him put that album together himself. The, the other three were just one mm-hmm. the interest it really. Right. So mm-hmm. it kind of had a, a lot more respect for Paul McCartney after watching that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'd say so the first person that sprung to mind for me was Elton John. I think he would be a great guest. And again, has got 60 odd years worth of stories and he's been there, it's seen it, done it mm-hmm. 10 times over. So definitely uh, Elton John. Um, and I think just for the laugh and for the drink we would have all night into the early hours and possibly the next day, I think Liam Gallagher's coming around. Brilliant. <laughs> I saw an interview the other day. I mean, it was quite an old interview, but I just came across it. And they said, he said about somebody asking if he wanted to go to the pub for a pint. They said, well, I want to go out for one pint. <laughs> when I go out, I want to go out and get Stephen. And I think he'd just be a great laugh. And again, he's got some stories, <clears throat> big character. And um, yeah. What would you cook, um, John and Liam uh, Gallagher? I would. Um, <laughs> This would be my problem. Get I don't really cook. Get a Chinese in. Yeah, I think I'm just opening up the living room and handing my phone around. 
Well, I mean, this is a problem as well. With, see, inviting John Lennon and Liam Gallagher, nobody's going to get speaking to John Lennon because Liam's just going to be pissed. You're, him. Him on, you're not going to get speaking to either of the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you're a diverse uh, group, definitely. Elton John as well. I mean, that is set at Glastonbury there. And mm. whatever you whatever your thoughts are on them, like whether you're a fan or not, like sit down and watch that set, and it kind of it it goes like for the seventies right through, and it touches every generation. Mm. Um, it was it was probably one of the best Glastonbury sets I've seen in the last fifteen years. Incredible, and his his whole band. It's the same band he's had pretty much since the start. He was saying he was introducing them, uh, yeah. and um, they were just just so so good. And say it, it's it's a he's a it's generational. It's mm-hmm. my nan's a fan. I'm a fan. The people yeah. much younger than us are fans, and it's just yeah, an incredible collection of music. Um, and say to a point where he was bring he was playing songs that he released in the seventies, and then bringing out artists that are literally brand new coming out in the last few months bringing yeah. them out on stage and then giving them the platform to go on and that's, well, that's the thing as well he does that he's quite good at getting, getting these up and coming artists a leg up so obviously there are another bit of your management coming in where you think they'll get Elton John and they'll help us get, <laughs> get up to the next level are you through business for you we need you at this dream dinner party already we'll get, we'll get Elton around <laughs> Liam Gallagher won't be too far away <laughs> your song on the dinner table perfect <laughs> that, that's us at the end of the interview so um, just before we go if you want to tell people where they can get a hold of you if they want to get in touch or anything like that yeah so Facebook um, Instagram is just slow time Mondays um, Twitter is STM band UK because for some reason there's a bloke who's already taken slow time Mondays, but has never actually tweeted in his life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, I've hassled Twitter for years to try and get that app, and they still won't give it to us. Um, and yeah, available on Spotify, Apple Music, um, all good digital stores. All of our all of our stuffs out there. All of our gigs will be announced all on our, on our socials. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, at the moment we're easily contactable for any. Shows, um, merch, um, vinyls are now on sale of our album. They've literally just come in. We spent the day signing them. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the funny thing. People actually are asking for signed vinyls now as well. It's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, it shows you, as I say, it shows you you're going the right, right direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah 100%. All right, so, I'll, I mean, I'll post all these links in the, the description at the bottom of the podcast, but I... Thanks for coming on the, the night and um, enjoy Truck Festival tomorrow as well. Thank you very much. Yeah. And thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes podcast, or on Instagram at Time for Heroes podcast or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1 or drop me an email at Time for Heroes Pod at gmail.com. You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple, Google and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others and more importantly enjoy. <laughs> <laughs>